Hello, hello everyone. I hope you're all doing well. It's been a little while since I've been able to have a new episode out. I ended up with a really nasty upper respiratory infection in January and it ruined all of my research plans. So I am just now getting back into recording. So, without further ado, let's learn about the Bloody Benders, shall we? Warning. The following case depicts graphic descriptions of fatal injuries. Listener discretion is advised. Normally, when we talk about the first serial killer of a state, it's one person. For the state of Kansas, it was a family. In October 1870, the homestead township of Osage, Kansas was founded. It's approximately seven miles northeast of Cherryvale in Labette County. One of those founding families went by the name Bender. Now, if you haven't heard of them, hold on to your seat because you're in for a wild ride. This family consisted of four people. 60-year-old John Bender Sr., 55-year-old Elvira Bender, 25-year-old John Bender Jr., and 23-year-old Kate Bender. Now, John, Jun- John Sr. and John Jr. registered 160 acres of land in their name across from where the Great Osage Trail was located. And it was the only open road that you were able to travel further west on. Now on this land, they built a cabin, a barn with a corral, and a well. Elvira and Kate would arrive in late 1871. Now once everyone was back together, they separated the cabin into two rooms with only a canvas wagon cover as the barrier. The smaller area in the back was their living quarters, while the rest of the cabin was turned into a quote-unquote general store. The front also had a kitchen and a dining table where travelers could stop for a hot meal and if they needed a place to spend the night, they were more than welcome to. Now along the north side of the cabin was a two-acre garden and an apple orchard that Kate and Elvira planted. There's very little background on the members of the family but what was known was that 
Elvira and John Sr. supposedly spoke very little English. And the neighbors referred to Elvira as a she-devil. John Jr. was a handsome man who spoke fluent English with a German accent. But he tended to laugh at odd times, so people thought of him as a half-wit. And then John Bender Sr., he, he didn't speak enough English for it to actually be discernible. And in the May 23rd, 1873 edition of the Emporia News, he was identified as William Bender. And that brings us to Kate. Oh, Kate. Kate was a beautiful young lady that spoke English very well and had little to no accent. She was a self-proclaimed healer and psychic and would distribute her flyers around for her supernatural abilities and power to cure illnesses. She would also conduct seances and give lectures on spiritualism, specifically her belief in free love. Kate was what drew people to the inn. And I believe that Kate was also the decoy. It's widely believed the family was German immigrants, although there's no existing documentation to prove that. And there's no existing documentation to prove any of their relationships. John Sr. was either from Germany, Norway, or the Netherlands. And Bender probably wasn't even his real name. It's believed to be Flickinger. According to some newspapers, Elvira was born Almira Hill Mark in the let's see if I can say this right at <laughs> Adirondack Mountains which are in New York she married Simon Mark and by her own words had 12 children with him now I don't know where all these 12 children are but they're not with them in Kansas. She later married a man named William Stephen Griffith. And it's rumored that she murdered several of her husbands, but there's no evidence. So that's just hearsay. Now Kate was supposedly Elvira's fifth daughter though many neighbors claimed Kate and John were not siblings at all, but were a married couple. Kate made it very well known during her lectures that she believed murder might be a dictation for good and that 
what the world may deem wrong or villainy, her soul might read as brave, noble, and humane. She boldly maintained a physical relationship with her brother and claimed it was her right to do so. To quote her, Shall we confine ourselves to a single love and deny our nature their proper sway, even though it be a brother's passion for his own sister? I say it should not be smothered. Yuck. In May of 1871, the body of a man named Jones was discovered in Drum Creek. His throat had been slashed and his skull had been crushed. The owner of the Drum Creek claim was the main suspect at that time, but there was never any action taken. In February of 1872, two more bodies with similar injuries were found in the same area. By 1873, reports of missing people who had passed through the area caused many travelers to seek other passages. In the winter of 1872, George Newton Longcore left Independence, Kansas with his infant daughter, Marianne. The plan was to head to Iowa to resettle. They were never seen or heard from again. In 1873, George's old neighbor, Dr. Henry York, went looking for them and began questioning homesteaders along the trail. He made it to Fort Scott and then, on March 9th, began his return journey to Independence. He never arrived. Now, the issue with this was that his brother, Ed York, was living at Fort Scott while his other brother, Colonel Alexander M. York, was a veteran of the Civil War, a lawyer, and a member of the Kansas State Senate in Independence. Both of his brothers knew his travel plans, so when he didn't return, they began a full search with Colonel York leading a company of at least 50 men. They questioned every traveler along the trail and visited all the homesteads. By March 28, 1973, the Colonel made his way to the Bender homestead. He asked them if they'd seen his brother which they admitted he he did stay and suggested he may have run into trouble with the Indians. On April 3rd, the colonel returned to the inn with his men after hearing that a woman had fled the inn after Elvira Bender threatened her with knives. Elvira who supposedly couldn't understand English, and the younger benders denied the claim. 
But as Colonel York repeated the accusation, Elvira became enraged and said the woman cursed her coffee, thus revealing for the very first time that she understood English perfectly. Kate asked York to come back alone the next Friday, and she would use her psychic abilities to help find out what happened to his brother. Now, this is a man who survived the Civil War. He was not stupid. He knew not to come back by himself, so he didn't. Just going to ruin that for you folks. He didn't. He didn't come back by himself. The men that came with him were convinced that the Benders and a neighboring family were guilty and wanted to hang them all right then and there. But Colonel York refused, stating they had to have evidence. Now, at this same time, the neighboring communities had begun to make accusations that the Osage community was responsible for all the disappearances. This made the Osage Township set up a meeting in the nearby Harmony Grove Schoolhouse. Here, 75 locals attended the meeting, including Colonel York, as well as the Bender men. After talking about the disappearances, it was agreed that warrants would be obtained to search every single homestead between Big Hill Creek and Drum Creek. Even with York's strong suspicions that the Benders were the culprits, no one watched them, and therefore, no one noticed when they ran. Three days after the meeting, Billy Toll was driving cattle past the Benders' property and noticed the inn had been abandoned and the farm animals had been unfed. He reported it to the trustee, but due to inclement weather, it was several days before anyone was able to investigate. A search party was formed, and it included Colonel York. As they searched the cabin, they found it was completely bare of food, clothing, and personal possessions. However, there was a very nasty odor that they were able to trace to a trap door underneath a bed that had been nailed shut. Once they were able to pry the door open, they found clotted blood on the floor of the empty room below. The room itself was six foot deep, seven foot squared at the top, and three foot squared at the bottom. As they broke up the slab floor with sledgehammers, they found no bodies, but did discover the smell was from blood that had soaked into the soil. 
So they did what any logical group of men would do back then. And they physically picked up the cabin and moved it to the side so that they could dig under it. No bodies were found at that point either. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until later that evening that they found Dr. York's body after taking a metal rod and probing the ground, specifically the disturbed soil near the garden and orchard. Dr. York was buried face down with his feet barely under the surface. They continued to probe the ground until midnight. They decided they could retire for the night after they marked nine additional graves. The next morning, an additional eight bodies were found in seven of the nine graves, while one was found in the well, along with several body parts. All but one of the heads had been bashed in with a hammer and the throat slashed. The body of a young girl was found with no injuries that would lead to her cause of death, so it was speculated that she was either strangled or buried alive. State Senator Alexander York offered a $1,000 reward or, in today's money, $24,428. That was for the entire family's arrest. Well, on May 17th, Kansas Governor Thomas A. Osborne offered an additional $2,000 reward, which came to $48,856 in today's money. Altogether, it was almost three quarters of a million dollars in today's money. It's a lot of money for four people. Now, detectives followed wagon tracks from the Bender property and they discovered the Bender's wagon abandoned with the team of horses starving and there was one of the mares that was lame and they discovered it outside the city limits of Thayer which is about 12 miles north of the inn they were able to confirm that the family bought tickets on the Leavenworth, Lawrence, and Galveston Railroad for Humboldt. At Canute, John Jr. and Kate got off the train and caught the MKT train south to the terminus near Denison, Texas. They then traveled to an outlaw colony around the border region between Texas and and New Mexico. However, 
the detectives could not pursue them because lawmen going into that specific area usually did not return. It was later claimed by one of the detectives that he had actually traced the couple to the border and had found that John Jr. had died of apoplexy or a hemorrhage. I hope I said that right. <laughs> the elder benders did not get off the train at Humboldt, but continued on to Kansas City, where they purchased tickets to St. Louis, Missouri. Vigilante groups were formed to search for the benders and so many stories came from that. One group claimed they caught up with the benders and shot all of them except for Kate, who they burned alive. I'm assuming that's because she was basically claiming to be a witch in their eyes. Another group claimed they lynched the family and then threw their bodies into the Verdigris River. A third group claimed to have killed them in a gunfight and buried the bodies on the prairie. No one ever claimed the $3,000 reward. So, it's very likely none of these stories happened. Because if you caught these people, wouldn't you brag about it? Wouldn't you want to turn that in and get the money? It's just food for thought. Now, with the story of their escape spreading, the search for them would continue for 50 years. Oftentimes, if two women were traveling together, they were accused of being Kate Bender and her mother, Elvira. In 1884, it was reported that a John Flickinger had committed suicide in Lake Michigan, as well as an elderly man matching John Sr.'s description being arrested in Montana for a murder committed in Salmon, Idaho. The murder victim had been killed by a blow to the head with a hammer. A message requesting a positive ID was sent to Cherryvale, but the suspect severed his foot to escape his leg irons and then subsequently bled to death. By the time the deputy from Cherryvale arrived, identification was impossible due to decomp. Despite the lack of ID, the man's skull was displayed in a saloon in Salmon, Idaho as Pa Bender until Prohibition forced its doors closed in 1920. And then the skull just disappeared. Now whether John Flickinger was John Bender is still unknown. In total, 12 men of bad repute 
were arrested as accessories to the Bender's crimes. Among those arrested were their neighbor, Addison Roach, and his son-in-law, William Buxton, as well as a friend of the family, simply known as Brockman. Now, Brockman would be arrested some 23 years later for the rape and murder of his 18-year-old daughter. On October 31st, 1889, it was reported that a Ms. Elmira Monroe and Ms. Sarah Eliza Davis were arrested in Niles, Michigan for larceny. They were released after being found not guilty, but were immediately rearrested for the Bender murders. According to the Pittsburgh Dispatch, one of the victim's daughters had reported them after tracking them down. The women's identities were confirmed by two Osage Township witnesses from a tin-type photograph. In mid-October, Deputy Sheriff Leroy Dick, who had been the trustee to head the search of the Bender Homestead, arrived in Michigan and arrested the pair after they were released on the larceny charge. Ms. Monroe resisted and swore she would not be taken alive. That was until she was subdued by local deputies. Ms. Davis claimed that Ms. Monroe was Elvira Bender, but that she was not Kate, but her sister Sarah, even signing an affidavit, later stating that she was not Kate. Monroe continued to deny that she was Elvira, and in turn accused Sarah Eliza of being the real Kate. The deputy sheriff escorted the two back to Oswego, Kansas, and there, seven members of a 13-member panel confirmed the identification and committed them for trial. Another of Miss Monroe's daughters, Mary Garday, later provided an affidavit claiming her mother, Almira Shearer, under the name of Elmira Marks, was serving two years in the Detroit House of Corrections in 1872 for the manslaughter of her daughter-in-law, Emily Mark. Records of the incarceration back up the affidavit. During her hearing, Ms. Monroe denied any knowledge of Shearer or the manslaughter charge and remained incarcerated with her daughter. The trial was originally scheduled for February 1890, but was held over until May. By this time, Ms. Monroe admitted she had married a Mr. Shearer in 1872 and claimed she had previously denied it because she did not want the court to know about the manslaughter conviction. Their attorney also produced a marriage certificate 
that Miss Davis had gotten married in Michigan in 1872. All of this was during the time of several of the murders in Kansas. While eyewitness testimonies were given that Ms. Monroe was Elvira Bender, Judge Calvin decided that even with the affidavits, the one specifically from Mary Garday was insufficient because she was, and I quote, a chip off the old block, <clears throat> meaning she was a liar. The other affidavits, however, were enough to prove neither woman could be convicted, so he discharged them both. The affidavits and other papers are missing from the file in Lebec County, making any further examinations impossible. The actual number of victims that the Bender family killed is unknown. But what they do know was that there were over 20. Only five of the victims' bodies were ever claimed and buried by their own families. The rest were reburied at the base of a small hill about one mile southeast of the Bender's Orchard. It is one of several at the location now known as the Bender's Mounds. During the search of the cabin, the men recovered a shoe hammer, a claw hammer, and a sledgehammer, all of which matched indentations on some of the skulls. The hammers were later given to the Bender Museum in 1967 by the son of, of Deputy Sheriff Leroy Dick. They were play, displayed at the museum in Cherryvale from 1967 to 1978 when that site was acquired for a fire station. The artifacts were eventually given to the Cherryvale Museum, where they remain to this day in a wall-mounted display case. A historical marker describing the Bender's crimes is located at the rest area at the junction of U.S. Route 400 and U.S. Route 169, north of Cherryvale. This case had a lot of information regarding it. It is so amazing to find a case this old that had that much information. I got the majority of the information from Wikipedia and some of it from A&E. But I love when cases have actual court documentation and archives that I can sift through and I like being able to watch like the videos from sites like 
History.com and A&E and being able to see how things were handled at that time and how different it was. It just fascinates me. I would like to thank all of you for hanging out with me this evening. Remember to like, share, and follow the podcast, especially on Spotify. The next goal for Spotify is to reach 100 followers. When we do that, I will play Bean Boozled. Also, I have uploaded all of the episodes as audio only, for now, on my YouTube channel, which is just under my name, Tanya.Ratliff. Now, my goal is to eventually begin making video podcasts, but I'm just not, I'm not quite there yet. But I know sometimes it's just easier to be able to turn it on the TV and go. And you can do your work and still listen to it in the background and have it going. And I understand that. I appreciate that. And that's why I decided to upload. I appreciate every single one of you. And as always, stay true and whatnot. Bye, guys.